Welcome to the show. My name is James Nielsen Watt, and in this show, we interview interesting, inspiring, and successful people so you can learn the secrets to success and can play the game of life, business, health, and happiness better. And the philosophy we take here is if I'm leveling up my game, you get to level up yours as well. So get ready to listen to some inspiring people who have figured out how to have success in all areas of life, health, happiness, wealth, business. We're gonna be interviewing them in this show so that you can learn the secrets to success that they share with practical advice that you can take and use today. So if you enjoy the show, please subscribe, please leave us a review, and please share it with your friends because if I can help you and you can help others, then we can help more people together and we can all level up our game together. My guest today is Dr. Joel Walsh, uh, an integrative and holistic pediatrician in Los Angeles, California. In 2009, he was the CEO of International Innovation Media and Design Incorporated and has published research in numerous peer-reviewed journals on topics including childhood injuries, obesity, and physical activity. Welcome to the show, my friend. Super excited to have you on. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I'd love it if you can tell our audience uh, a bit of a background on you. Before the show, we were, we were talking about how sort of an undergraduate you were into to marketing and business and now, you know, full-fledged doctor and working with patients and clients and things and, and doing courses and all kinds of interesting stuff. Tell us your kind of, tell us your story. Yeah, sure. So I, I always loved science and I always loved business. And when I was going through my undergraduate training and, and I was doing like a, you know, kinesiology and health and psychology, but at that time I wasn't sure whether I wanted to go into medicine for sure, or whether I wanted to go into business. So I was involved in um, an online company at that time. And we were doing marketing for uh, some celebrities and other professionals, especially in the, the comedy uh, world. And that was a lot of fun, just kind of getting involved in that business world. But then as I went through uh, school, I had decided that I really wanted to go into medicine. And so that's, you know, very time consuming. There isn't a lot of time to do <laughs> a lot of other, uh, you know, business uh, type things when you're actually in training. So most of that stopped. Um, and then as I got out, I opened up my own practice, which is where I work now. And I've gotten back into doing a lot more online work as well, where I'm working on building courses and programs for parents and teaching about uh, kids and health and, and all those things together. So that's kind of what led me here today, where I do a lot more stuff online, but also a lot in the office as well. Yeah. And what are you doing in the online space with, like in particular? Well, let me step back a little bit. So I think that you know, it's important to remember that in medical school, medical training, we don't get any training in any of this online social media stuff, right? So, and this is all a lot newer in the last few years. So, you know, as I was coming out and, and starting to work with patients and, and seeing how much uh, I loved doing that and helping patients, it also made me realize that when you're in the office, you're only helping a few people. Uh, and so I really wanted to be able to help more people. And I had seen lots of practitioners starting to do more work online. Uh, and so that's what led me to start, you know, building courses and other things like that. So the original things that I had done a few years back, we actually did an online summit for parenting where we brought together a lot of top practitioners and celebrities and talked about all sorts of different topics as it relates to parenting and keeping your kids healthy. And I also created a, an online wellness kit, which was a, like a video series, kind of a masterclass on keeping your kids healthy and, and, bringing in different practitioners from different fields like chiropractors and acupuncturists and, and just all sorts of professionals and how that kind of ties into health with kids as well. And then now currently I'm working on uh, Raising Amazing Plus, which is a uh, online site, which is going to be kind of like a masterclass 
com, but for for parenting. And so just working to get that up and running and bringing together uh, all sorts of the top professionals in their fields as it comes to parenting and, and interviewing them on uh, their areas of expertise and, and putting that all into one place for, for parents. Yeah. Is, are you running mostly subscription models with that or? that That's going to be a subscription model. Yeah. So it hasn't started as of as today when we're talking, but it will be out you know, hopefully soon. And it's going to be a yearly subscription model. Yeah. Okay. What was the transition point for you? Like what, what made you realize, Hey, I need, need to do this more than just, I would like to do it. Like, I know that you said that, you know, you can only help so many people when you're, when you're in practice. And I know that being a health professional myself, it's like one-to-one with clients. Maybe you can do some group stuff, but there's limitations in, in how you practice that. But what really made you bridge that? And has that been a business decision to allow you to have more, more scalability with what you're doing? Or has it been entirely a, a client focused uh, decision? That's a really good question. So I would say, you know, that's two parts because there's one part of it from the business side of, of, of medicine and running a practice. And then the second part for online. So when I started working, you know, I did training in a regular hospital. I was working in a big practice. You're working for a company. And, you know, what really led me to want to start my own office was just being my own boss. Uh, and, and, you know, there's a lot of silly rules and different things that you have to, you know, follow when you're part of a big practice and, and you don't really have the freedom to you know, take vacation whenever you want or, or um, to really control where you think things should be going. And I was also very interested in, in holistic health and integrative medicine. And that that's just not part of the standard model. And, and you don't necessarily have the time to be able to do all the things that you wanted to do and, you know, kind of your big box office uh, sort of medical space. So that, that really led me to decide that I needed to open up my own practice and, and do things my own way. And again, I love business and I always have. And so for me, it was a natural, uh, you know, natural transition to stop making money for somebody else and, and just make sure that I'm, you know, putting, putting my, I guess, time and effort into myself and building a practice the way that I want and the way that I think people would want it. And, you know, very quickly that, that paid off and it was, we've never really advertised. We've always been pretty full. Um, and, and I think that's because of the way that we do things a little bit differently. It's a lot more personal. We combine Western medicine and, and natural practices, and there's just not a lot of that out there. And so I think, you know, for me, again, that that's really what has kind of moved me forward down that path and just seeing, okay, well, people are, I think people are interested in this, but are they actually? And then you actually run the practice and you're like, okay, people really are interested in this. This is something that they really want. Um, and even to the point where, you know, I'm lucky where I live and that it's Los Angeles and I'm surrounded by lots of really amazing people, celebrities, all sorts of, you know, really cool people. And, and even big celebrities are showing up to the practice and, and wanting to bring their kids. And this is just a new practice at that time. And I'm like, well, what is going on? Like, why are people wanting to come to me? I'm just some young kid who was coming out of training and, and there's all these doctors that have been around for 20, 30 years, you know, why are they wanting to switch? But there, I guess there was just something there um, in the timing or whatever it was that really led people to that. And, and so as I went through that over the first couple of years, it really started to make me realize more and more that people wanted this and wanted this information. And really the only way to scale that up is to, the main way to scale it up these days is to do it online and to really bring the information to more people. And I get questions all the time on, on Instagram and social media, you know, the same questions over and over again, a lot of things that I, I do in the office. And so it was just a natural progression to start testing the water and doing some of these things online and seeing what the 
response would be. And and it's really been very positive. The first event that we ran that was a summit, we had um, 30,000 parents sign up, which was amazing. I mean, that's awesome for a first, first time doing it. And so that, that again, it just all these things together have led me to really understand that this is something that people want and need. And so now, you know, I really think my role over the last couple of years and moving on in the future is really just scaling that up and bringing more content. And I'm working on books and other things now uh, to really try to get uh, the information out there to everybody. And I think it's, you know, this is probably common of most professions, but it's certainly common of of my profession where we do this stuff every day. So it's like common knowledge to us, you know, the parenting stuff, but, but it's really easy to forget that what's in my head isn't necessarily in every other parent's head. And so even just sharing the basics sometimes can be super helpful, but you need the platform to do it and you need the, the space. And, and most doctors just don't have any training in media or in social media or in doing courses. And so it's just, it's not a natural thing. <laughs> it's not part of our training. So it really just takes some time to kind of break away, build the right team and and have an interest in it. You're 100% correct there. I think that what I see is that as a health professional, there's two parts to everything that we do. There's the head, which is the, the business and the numbers, and it has to make sense. And then there's the heart, which is working with clients and, and helping them. And there's this balancing act that happens because if we don't run the business efficiently and effectively, then it's not going to operate, which then means we can't continue to serve the clients. Um, and so we have to be doing that. But if you're solely business focused and never caring about clients, it's not going to work that way either because either you're going to have this big revolving door practice and everyone comes and then leaves and eventually mm-hmm. the word will get out not to go there. But a lot of health professionals I've found struggle with balancing the business part of it because there's this kind of, there's this thing in us almost that we shouldn't be doing it uh, if it involves money, even though we we have to be paid and we take payment, but there's this w- weird kind of uh, perception there. How did you reconcile that for yourself if it all, it was an issue? And did you notice any barriers coming up with other professionals, especially like these walls where you know, people were frowning on what you were doing and because it was just different and we should be, you know, solely about the client, you should be in practice and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, that's another great question. And it's, it's very, I would say astute, especially when it comes to the medical world, right? I don't think there's any world where money is weirder than when it comes to medicine, especially because in America, you know, you have insurance companies, you have all these ways and, and, and medicine by and large should be, it's right, right? Like you need, you need to get treatment. You need to be seen if you're sick, you you believe your child, you know, needs to get into the doctors, they need to get seen. So money doesn't really shouldn't factor in really when you're you're thinking about these things, but it does, especially if you're running a business. You know, you're not you're not going to stay open if you're not able to make enough money. That's a huge problem around the world, but especially in America when it comes to medicine, is you know, it's much more corporatized than than it is, you know, in other places. But regardless of where you are, you know, somebody's paying you, somebody has to pay you enough to cover your expenses and to live. Uh, a comfortable life, or you're not gonna you're not gonna do it, especially because you have to, you know medicine is a very tough job. So yeah, I think it's it definitely is something that comes in to mind. And and anytime that you're thinking about making money, whether it's advertising a product or thinking about a product or discussing anything, I think that's a there's a big concern level, especially when it comes to doctors about these things, right? It's it's are you promoting something because you you believe in it, or are you promoting something because they just paid you and you really think it's terrible. And there, there's a fine line there, but but I think that this is this is also part of society. So I don't think there's anything wrong with promoting things that you you love. 
And I also don't think there's anything wrong with making money. It's really just about how you approach it. And, and just like you said, you know, if you're if you're not thinking about your clients and you're not focused on your practice, then nobody's going to go, or they might go for one time and they're going to leave. So you have to balance it, and that is always something that is in the back of my mind. But it's also because I'm on the younger ish end and I haven't been doing this for so long, and I started my practice in the world of social media, all these things. I built it in a way of being mindful of those things because I was very concerned about that from day one. And so really just taking steps to make sure that you have appropriate backup um, and coverage is really the main way to go for your practice. And I'm, I'm very available. I have a concierge practice. People can text me all the time, but there's certainly times when I'm doing media podcasts, being on TV, whatever it is, and you're like not available for some amount of time, or if you're flying somewhere, or even if you're on vacation, you know, I think that that's always true for any doctor, but you just need to be mindful of it. And that's why I brought in a second doctor. So if I'm not here, then then she's here. Um, and you just have things ready to go to, to kind of balance that. And also you set up your schedule in a way where you have to make sure you leave enough time to do all the things that you want to do. And I am lucky in the way that my practice is where I'm not in the style of practice where you need to see a million patients every day. So I have time, you know, at lunch to do things or at the end of the day, I, I, I leave Fridays off for the most part so I can do you know other things on those days. So I, I balance it by both things being important and, and being fully present in either thing while I'm there, but also just being mindful of the balance and knowing that there's that people understand this stuff. I think they understand that you have a life too. And especially the last couple of years, I think that's become more understandable uh, with, with everything in the pandemic and people having to stay home and, and all, all things like that. So it actually was helpful to that in that sense. But I just think it comes back to being mindful of it and, and balancing and being there for your patients when they really need you. But also most people are okay. You know, if you, if you're going to go on some you know big TV show or whatever, like most people are excited for that. They want you to go help other people um, as long as you're also taking care of them and their kids when they need you. And I think most parents don't have an expectation that you're literally in the office 24 hours a day, every day, they get it. You know, you have a life too. So you need to be there when they need you, but you can also have appropriate backup and a team it always well, comes back to the team, It's right? about boundaries, right? right? Like if you don't establish boundaries, people will tend to, people are always pushing boundaries because mm -hmm. we're wanting to see like in an ideal world, you're going to do everything for me and I'm going to get everything and I'm going to eat grapes. Like mm -hmm. that's kind of the, mm -hmm. the dream. I think even subconsciously for most people, it's like we want to do the least. That's why we tend to, to not take care of our health until it's like dire because the, mm -hmm. the pain of doing it outweighed the pain of not and then that reverses and so for, for me i found that boundaries were super important because otherwise people would start to define those for you and some people are more pushy than, than others so i definitely had to to establish boundaries and i think it's important for staff for clients and for yourself in, in general life um but something you, you said was was luck and i want to challenge you on that i don't believe mm -hmm. in, in in luck per se i i, I believe that opportunities present and and things happen uh, but i think that for for the vast majority of things we create that you said that you have a practice where you're lucky because you don't have to do a million clients etc but you had also said before that that you didn't want to operate in that and so you went and created your mm -hmm. own and i think that there is this feeling in healthcare it's difficult for us to talk about business it's difficult for us to talk about anything that isn't just health and we get uncomfortable talking about the fact that we can have control over how things are by making different decisions, by thinking about it more pragmatically in business and going, well, I, I don't want to see a million clients. So if I don't want to see a million clients, but I still want to help people and I need to make enough money to pay my staff, I should 
maybe see less clients and charge more or change the system up and et cetera, et cetera. It gets uncomfortable for us. We spoke about that a little bit before. Do you think that, uh, in your opinion, do you think that that comes from this sort of culture uh, within healthcare of almost pulling each other down for fear of, I don't know what it is. It's, it's, I noticed this with an example of this is if people say your business will grow if you're just really good at what you do and have a good service. But the difficulty I, no- I notice a lot of practice owners get into is I'm not busy, but I'm really good at what I do. So how do I reconcile the belief that if I'm just really good at what I do, I'll be busy, but I am really good at what I do and I get good results, but I'm not busy. And there becomes this conflict. Mm-hmm. What's your opinion around that? Where do you think it comes from? And what do you think we can do about it to, uh, to think about business and healthcare differently so that more of us can succeed? I think, first of all, as you said, it is cultural. I think there's certainly something when it comes to medicine and, and healthcare that is almost at odds with, with business. But I also think it's also the personality that goes into healthcare often. It's not necessarily somebody that is interested in business or likes the business aspect at all, or even wants anything to do with business. I, you're like, you have these big offices and they don't even ever want to see a paperwork or an insurance slip or, or what. it's like you, you want your business manager to do those things. I think that's true of a lot of doctors. I mean, you work so hard and you train for so long and, and you go into a field to help people and you're not there to look at the dollars and cents and you're not, you're not there to, you know, penny pinch your clients on that day or, or think about, you know, well, what, what am I going to do for this patient that's going to make me the most money? You know, that's, that's the opposite of the way that most doctors think. They just, what am I going to do to get this patient better? And, you know, they're not really thinking in the terms of, of money. Businesses do, hospitals do, uh, big corporate medical centers do, you know, but people behind a closed door somewhere with a suit, that's who's thinking about the dollars and cents. The doctor's just seeing the person and doing whatever they think is best. So that's kind of dissociated. And a lot of medicine is very dissociated. And all of our training is completely dissociated from any sort of the financial aspects of it. So you, you don't get any training in it. You don't really think that way. And a lot of doctors, no matter what you would do, would never want to think that way because they're not interested in the business side of things. They're just interested in helping people. And so it, it really is a very difficult thing. I think if you, at some point, I think in the long run, doctors and healthcare practitioners really have to get together and advocate for themselves. Lawyers are good at it. My wife's a lawyer and she, that profession is very good at, you know, setting up a profession where they know how to make money and they charge for every second and, and all these things. Whereas in medicine, you might have a phone call with somebody you don't get paid, or you might be spending hours doing some sort of paperwork and you don't get paid. And that's not a really sustainable model for most people. And it's not fair. <laughs> it's really just not fair. I mean, there, you, you work really hard and you should get paid appropriately for your time. And really you should be just paid for your time for whatever you're doing as it comes to medicine. That's just not ever been negotiated. Well, how, how often when you go to a party and, and somebody hurts themselves, they expect you to just do medicine for free. But if they come, if they're a cleaner or a plumber and they come to your house for a party, um, do you say, Hey, the kitchen's really dirty. Do you mind cleaning it up for me? You're a cleaner. Like you would never do that. That's insulting and and inappropriate to expect your friend who's a professional cleaner to just clean your kitchen because your kitchen's dirty. But in healthcare, uh, I don't know your experience, but mine was, um, mm-hmm. oh, my back's feeling really sore. Can you take a look at it? Or this is happening. Mm-hmm. It's it's this this expectation that, well, it's easy for you. It only takes you five minutes. You should just do it. And to expect, for example, the, the cleaning friend to clean the kitchen would take longer. But what people don't think about is, is the value being offered in that, you know, I've got $100,000 in student loans. I spent, you know, five, six years becoming an expert and my time is, is worth a lot for people who, who, who value the outcome. 
but you'll happily take up, you know, 45 minutes of my time on a phone call or, uh, you know, expect me at a party to, to, to take a look at this issue for you. Uh, I find that very interesting. And, and where it leads to me is perceived value. The same client who will often not be able to afford care or not prioritize it uh, is calling me on their $1,000 iPhone that they just bought because it's the newest model. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going out to a steak dinner, so they can't, they miss their appointment because they're, they, or they can't afford their next appointment because they've, they've got dinner or a holiday. And I've, I've found in private practice that a lot of the time there was a, and obviously this is, you know, there, it's, a, it's a bell curve, right? So there's people who, who legitimately are stuck, but I find that a lot of people don't prioritize their health and us as health professionals and, and healthcare in general, like they would other things. Do you think that comes from a, a societal conditioning or do you think that comes from sort of an enablement by health professionals? Because if your lawyer tells you, you need to do this, it's going to cost you $2,000, you tend to pay it because you trust your lawyer. Whereas when your health professional says it, there's this propensity to not trust it and Google it instead <laughs> and ask your auntie what they think uh, about this advice that the doctor has given you. But you don't ask your auntie about your lawyer's advice. You see what I'm saying? Like, do you think that's <laughs> yeah? That's, no, I think us. it's both. Yeah, I, I think it's both. I, I again, I go back to I think doctors never doctors are not good business people or good lawyers or anything like that, and so they never set good boundaries. And mm. we've let everybody else tell us what to do, especially in America when it comes to like insurance companies. Doctors are the ones really making the money, but they're not setting the rules. And so I, I think that there there is just a lot of creep in terms of other people setting the boundaries and the rules yeah. and the expectations for us we're, and we're not doing it. And, and again, doctors are good people. So if somebody is hurt on the side of the road or gets in a car accident, I go, I'm going to help them too, right? It's, it's, it's not that we're not going to do it. Most people will, but it's just become almost an expectation that you you know almost have to, to do it where it should be something that you would do because, you know, you're a generous person and you would help somebody, but also it's creeped into just like you said, Oh, well then, you know, a patient messages you and they just want a bunch of advice for free and all of this stuff. And that's fine. You know, if that was to be the only time that that would happen, but if every single person in your practice, let's say you have a big practice, you have 5,000 patients. And if everybody called you, you know, and, and had a free five minutes of advice, that would be your entire day, every day, and you never make any money. It just it just doesn't work like that. So there has to be some boundary to do it appropriately. It doesn't mean that doctors don't want to help you, but at the same time, there has to be an appropriate setup where um, there is a way for you to monetize that in a way that you can keep your practice open to actually continue to help them, right? And that's why I think people don't realize. They think, oh, every doctor just makes so much money and they're super wealthy. And it's definitely not True. I mean, surgeons make a lot of money, but they also went to school for like however many years and Half then, they, you know, 15 yeah. more years to actually make that money. Uh, and, and then, you know, they're not even getting those calls, but a general practitioner by and large doesn't make that much. They're not, you know, poor by any sense of the standards, but it's, it's not, they're not making millions and millions of dollars and they have a long way to get there. And a lot of student loans and other things to kind of make up. So there's a lot of doctors that are, are really not making a lot of money. And certainly in private practice, there are plenty of offices that are not making good money and not even able to stay open. And the last couple of years, 20 plus percent of practices, private practices closed. They're all getting bought up by hospitals because it's really hard to run your practice. So just like you said, you, you have to, if you want to have a private practice, if you want to have a model that's outside the system, you have to have a way to, set up boundaries and efficiently monetize that practice in a way that's sustainable. And, and, and that comes from a little bit of respect and a little bit of 
of making sure that you're getting appropriate paid, whether it's through insurance or whether it's through cash patients or, or whoever it is, depending on how you're setting it up. And there are lots of practitioners that are moving to the other style of practice now um, where they, you know, they do direct to client sales. They don't take insurance. They, they don't do any of that. And they just charge X amount of dollars per month or per year or whatever it is. And then you can call them what you want because they're making enough money to survive. So it doesn't really matter how much you call them because they have they don't have as many patients, so it doesn't take up their whole day to answer your questions. And you've already paid them for that service. I, I've found that with the, the, the few hundred practices that we've, we've worked with, the, the common thing is that I'm a health professional because I want to help people and I, and I want to learn medicine and I want to, you know, I like it. Right. And then I, and I also think that I will do well because this is perception that, that we will. And then we get into a job and we don't, enjoy it. And we want to go and start our own practice. And so we think I'm going to just open a practice. Clients will come and it'll all be fine. And then we face the reality of business, which is that you have to be an entrepreneur. You have to be entrepreneurial. You've got to problem solve. You've got to create marketing strategies and build systems and hire people. And, and, And you go from just, I'm just practicing healthcare to I'm now doing all of these things that I was never trained in. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of health professionals uh, that that I've connected with, we fall into business. We didn't go into business to get into business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we did it because we didn't want to work for somebody. Mm-hmm. And so we thought we'll open a practice. And then we get kicked in the face with reality, which is that, yeah, there's a big difference between practicing medicine or healthcare and running a business. And just because you're good at what you do doesn't mean that you'll be successful or make money or or anything. And it, and it starts to really... Uh, affect us because we just don't learn it. Like I'm a, I'm a chiropractor, you know, acupuncturist, things like that. We might do a paper or two uh, on running a business because a lot of us go straight into private practice. Um, but especially I would assume as, as a medical professional, if at all, you wouldn't be learning anything uh, no, about nothing. that because yeah. it's put into the system. Yeah. You, you definitely learn zero about business. I mean, no, zero. I, I don't remember learning anything. And it's hard because the reality is, especially when you're starting a business as a healthcare practitioner, you you probably don't have any patients or maybe just a few. And so you have to do all of the business stuff. And it, you can hire somebody to, you know, be a business manager or, or, you know, run the business side of things to whatever degree, but but you're already probably pretty, you know, your, your margins are probably pretty lean to start with. You're probably taking out loans and, and maybe you're making negative dollars for a couple of years. So to, to hire you know, a solid business professional that that's, it's going to be way more money than you have. And even when you're you're outsourcing the most important part of the success of the business to a person Mm -hmm. who probably isn't able to actually do it because if they could, they're probably going to be paid a hell of a lot more than what you can afford to pay them. And they're probably working somewhere else already. So you end up hiring a business manager or admin manager, who's really just the person that you're overpaying um, because the, the top talent isn't waiting for a job and isn't going to be paid what you can pay them. And they don't know how to necessarily run your practice unless you're completely lucky. And so we, we tend to, I see this a lot. We, we, we go, okay, I don't want to do this. I don't know how to do it. So I'm just going to hire a, you know, an, a business manager, an admin manager or whatever. Same thing with marketing. I'm just going to hire a marketing agency. And it's like, it doesn't work well because you are delegating the most important parts of the business operations to somebody else. So if it breaks, you don't know how to fix it. If they're not doing a good job, you don't know how to spot it. You don't know how to change it. I'm a huge believer in know how to do it yourself and then delegate it to somebody on your team who can operate within the framework that you understand. 
Otherwise, we get trapped and you go from agency to agency. And then when things break, I see it all the time. And especially with what you said, right, the, 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 the admin manager or business manager, it's like you can't just go, okay, figure this stuff out, uh, run my business. Because that was why you left the other place that you worked in mm-hmm. because you wanted to have your own thing. And you're just trying to have, you're trying to have the, the cake and eat it too, as they say. You're trying to have, not be controlled and in a job, but hire people to run it so that you are basically just employed. Uh, and that's why I see a lot of practices really struggle. Yeah, no, I, I I couldn't agree more. And I was going to go there and say that as well, is it's you just, you can't, hi- almost impossible to hire somebody good enough with the budget that you would have at that point in time. Certainly as you get big, you know, for the people that really make it and they have a huge practice and maybe have a couple of practitioners and you've been doing it for five or 10 or 15 years and you're making lots of money. At that point, you can bring somebody in to do, to do other things. And you can certainly hire uh, companies to help you. I mean, when I started my practice, I hired a group called the, the Verdon Group, um, and they help uh, doctors, uh, pediatricians especially, start practices. That's what they do. As a, so, they're a consulting company, and there are just so many things I had no idea. <laughs> you know, I mean, even just from the simplest of of what things do I need to buy? I mean, when you work in a hospital or in a clinic, there's just a room with all sorts of stuff, right? All the tongue depressors and the ear things and and whatever. But but you don't think about any of that when you're starting your practice. Like you literally have a room and that's it. And then you have to think about everything you might need and what you're going to order. And nobody remembers those things. And even at, with their help, you still got to order things as you go. But you know, I think hiring a consulting firm when you're starting does, if you find the right one, is is really helpful if they've done it many times just to make sure that you get set up. And there are a lot of things that, that I didn't want to do, like applying to insurances and and other things that were like one-time work that, you know, they could just do, especially because I was working still at the time when I was transitioning. But when it comes to your own office, if you want to run your own practice, you have to like business. You have to. You, you cannot run it, I don't think, with a business manager. In, unless you're maybe in a very specific field that makes a lot, a lot of money. But but other than that, I just, I don't see how for the first while you're going to make enough money to afford to pay an MBA who knows what they're doing, who's in healthcare, who's super talented, enough money that you're going to get somebody good. You're not going to have $200,000 or whatever sitting around. Those people are going to go work in some big company and, you know, maybe eventually you can hire them. But yeah, you can, you can hire somebody for 50,000 or, you know, whatever it's going to be, but they're, they're not going to be what you want probably. Well, you can't throw people at problems. <laughs> that, that's, yeah. that's my big thing is you, you, you've got a problem and, and you need to solve the problem. You need to get clarity around what's going on and you need to make systems and processes and, and fix it. And then you can delegate to a person to continue that process, but you can't say, I don't know how to market. So I'm just going to hire a person and they're going to market for me. I don't know how to do this. So I'm just going to hire a person and they're going to do it for me. I'm a huge advocate for consultants who can Mm -hmm. guide you through the process because you went to medical school because you need to learn from a mentor. You didn't just go and read a bunch of textbooks and think I'm a doctor, right? Even if, even if that was legal, Mm -hmm. it wouldn't make any sense and it would never work because there's nuances. You and I both know you don't just read the textbook and now I know how to do the medicine. It's like (laughs) the, there's reality and then there's textbooks right. and your professors are there to guide you through the process and to help you learn, to keep you accountable. And so you've got to have a mentor doing this. And I think a lot of us forget that we we've got this complex of I'm the health professional. I know a lot of stuff. And when we get into business, it's difficult for us to, or if we've been in practice for a while and it's not going the way that we want, it's hard for us to face the reality and say, I need to go back to school. I need to go and learn from somebody who's done it and can guide me through the process, whether it's starting the practice, whether it's growing the practice, um, and and let go of our ego and say, you know what, it's okay, and this is the best path. Like, 
LeBron James has a coach. How and why? There's no way his coach is better than him at basketball. <laughs> why does he have a coach? Yeah. His coach can see things that he can't, and a good coach and a good player are two very different things. Uh, I'm no expert, but I would, uh, I dare say, and from things I've, that I've read, most coaches are not amazing ex-players, right? They, the coach mm-hmm. didn't win the championship and now went and started teaching. <clears throat> they were a teacher from the start because there's a, a big difference. So we need to kind of let that ego go. And, and, and my opinion is, is it, it comes from what I said before, where there's this culture in healthcare of you just should be able to be good at it because if you just get good results, you know, people will come back and, and it's more so prevalent in healthcare. And I think it prevents a lot of us from actually going and getting a mentor because there's almost this admission that I've failed and I must not be good at what I'm doing if I'm asking for help because shouldn't I just have lots of clients if I'm just good at what I do? And there's this, this thing that goes on that we see and we feel and we know not to be true, but we just perpetuate it anyway. And yeah, you've got to get a, got to get a mentor. You're hundred percent correct. That's why you're successful. You said, Hey, I need some help. Show me what to do. And, and you just leapfrog your way through it. You know what I mean? We did it through healthcare schools and we're going to do it in business. Let me ask you, what are you, what are you doing uh, at the moment? What's a big project that you're working on that you're excited about? So the biggest project I'm working on right now would be the Raising Amazing Plus. I'm super excited about that. We got lots of top, the top practitioners from around the world, including Emily Oster, who wrote you know, the number one parenting book. She, she does a master class. And, and, and I did a pregnancy master class with my wife. We talked about our pregnancy and everything that we went through. So I'm super excited about that. That's going to be really fun uh, coming out. And it's just going to be, I've, I've been doing so much stuff for so long, and I'm really trying to focus down on just a few things now. And, and I run my Instagram. I'm going to run Raising Amazing Plus. I'm working on some books and then running the office. And that's kind of it. Um, and so that that makes me really excited to kind of focus down and build one thing really, really, really well. Um, and then kind of promote and work on that. Yeah, that sounds really good. That sounds really <laughs> good. If you if you split your focus, I've definitely found that myself. There's no such thing as multitasking. You were just <laughs> splitting focus. And so if you've got 10 things and you can only put 10% into each, or 100% into one at a time, which means they all suffer. And so definitely just being ruthless and picking until you have the ability to, to put in people in places that allow you to pivot, right? Elon Musk can do it because he's got mm-hmm. people, but he can't simultaneously create and launch multiple multi-billion dollar companies by himself. He had to grow one and then move to the next and then develop teams and then pivot. And I think that a lot of us forget that. We think we can do 50 million things um, and really we're just half-assing all of them. Um, <laughs> Let me ask you, it's a question I ask everybody in 30 seconds uh, or so. Tell us what's the most important thing that you ever learned. The most important thing I ever learned was to build the right team, to spend the time, to care about your team, to love your team, to build the right people that you can trust. Uh, it's not about you know the money. It's not about who's got the most training. It's about personality and people that you can that you know will be there for you and that you can trust to do a great job and to support you and share your message and share the, the love that you're trying to bring to the world or the message that you're trying to bring to the world. So to me, that was really the biggest thing that I learned is, is just focusing on the front end to really make sure I make good choices for who I surround myself with. And also, you know, on the flip side, if something isn't working or there isn't, you know, the right connection, then not to be afraid to you know, fire somebody or get rid of somebody or, or, you know, just have the right team around you and, and, and not be too concerned if you have to make a change. Cause that is part of the way that things go. hundred percent. I couldn't mm-hmm. agree more. We are, as they say, the average of who's around us and, and where we seek our advice from and, and, and who supports us. And I would agree. I think 
one of the most important things is who you have around you and supporting you in your vision and, and what you're achieving and then building your business because there's nothing worse than having <laughs> bad employees uh, or a bad support team. Um, where can our audience connect with you online and see what you're up to? The best place would be on Instagram, Dr. Joel Gator or raisingamazingplus.com. Brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on the show, my friend. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Thank you for checking out this episode. If you liked it, please make sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you're a healthcare professional who wants to get serious about business, check out practiceowner.com where we have a whole lot of resources on helping you to grow more impactful and more financially viable practices. So that's practiceowner.com. Go and check that out if you're a health professional serious about business and don't forget to subscribe.